Today, we continue our sermon series in, the, in 1 Corinthians. Today, we're focusing on chapter 5. Our sermon series is the gospel solution, and today we are focusing on restorative discipline. Let us pray. Oh God, tell us in your word what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do, that we may be faithful disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ and share his love in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us hear the word of the, of the Lord as it is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I encourage you, if you want, to follow along with me in your bulletin or the Bible that you'll find in the pew. Paul writes, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an adulterer, a reviler, a drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In verse number one, the Greek word for sexual immorality is called porneia. And it's a word, if you continue to read from uh, 1 Corinthians 5 on, or you read the entire letter of Paul to the Corinthians, it's a word that occurs at least five times. The word pornography comes from the word porneia. This means that Paul is concerned about this issue. It's a major one in the life of the Corinthian church. Now, porneia is a broad word. It's a general word, and it does mean sexual immorality. Two other subcategories that fall under a header for sexual immorality are adultery and premarital sex. Simply put, in the Bible, porneia literally means having sex with someone you're not married to. 
Paul says this kind of porneia is a special kind in our scripture lesson. Verse 1 tells us that a man has his father's wife. The, the words say father's wife. So this means that this is the man's stepmother. The word has literally means the man and his stepmother were not married. Has is present progressive. So that the ver- what the verse is really saying is that a man is in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. This kind of sexual relationship was called incest. Now, incest was absolutely outlawed by the Romans and the Greeks because people understood that there was a whole lot more going on here than just incest. There was also exploitation. The man took a family and took it apart, exploited the relationships, And that was understood as wrong. And so Paul writes, this is why he writes these words, it is a kind that's not tolerated even among the pagans. And then in verse number two, he writes, and you are arrogant. In other translations, you'll read that instead of arrogant, you'll see proud. Either way, what does Paul mean here? Does it mean that the church is acting proud or arrogantly because of the problem or in spite of the problem? Is the church saying they are proud this man is living with his stepmother and having sex together? What Paul is likely saying and meaning is this. Don't even think of being arrogant or proud of your church if church discipline is not being done to address this problem. In verse number two, Paul also writes, let him who has done this be removed among you. Now, Paul repeats this sort of a phrase again and again in these 13 verses. And, well, let's be honest. These are hard words to hear. The whole idea of removing someone from the congregation really strikes hard and radically against the culture we live in, the modern culture we live in, that emphasizes moral individualism and expressive individualism, especially in America, especially in Texas, and both live well in churches today. What is moral individualism? On the one hand, moral individualism asserts that I am only responsible responsible for myself. I'm not responsible for someone else's problem. And quite frankly, I don't want to get involved. On the other hand, expressive individualism asserts that I get to decide within myself what is right or what is wrong. You put those two together, moral individualism and expressive individualism, and the result you witness is a problem like the one we're talking about that isn't easy to talk about, not being addressed at all. So removing someone from the congregation is hard, but it's right for at least one important reason, corporate responsibility. What is corporate responsibility? Earlier I talked about or emphasized that we are more individualistic than we realize and likely believe we are the product of our own individual choices and decisions. But the the reality is, the truth is, We're a product of our relationships 
more a product of our relationships than our individual choices and decisions. In fact, I say we're more a product of our community than our choices and our decisions. Even more, the choices and decisions that we make are eventually formed and shaped by your own parents, your family, and through other uh, relationships in your life, say, through your friends. In the end, we are all held responsible by the Lord for our community. So when you know there's someone who claims to be a Christian in the church and is having sex with her boyfriend or girlfriend, and you say, it's not my problem, I don't want to get involved, you have chosen to be guided what the culture says about responsibility and not what the Bible teaches about responsibility. Let's look at verse number three through five. Paul writes, for though absent in body, I'm present in spirit. And if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Oh my goodness, what does this mean? Let's begin with the first question. What does it mean to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh? Let's break this down a little bit. The Greek word for flesh is sarx. Sarx can mean the body, it can mean the sinful nature, or it could just mean the part of your heart that is still under the power of sin. Paul writes, Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. In other words, make sure he dies that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. But I don't think at all that's what Paul means here. Because when we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we find what Paul expects as the result of church discipline. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 8 says... Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough so that you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Paul is referring to this man we are talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're reflecting on this, this man, as we read, was restored. Somebody, someone walked with this man and took him through a process of church discipline. The whole purpose of church discipline is to celebrate accountable discipleship that makes a way, that paves a way for sinners to practice repentance and receive restoration that only the Lord Jesus can give. So when Paul is talking about the destruction of the flesh, what he's really saying is you're not going to hurt this person, but instead the sin that lives or resides in him. Release him from the fellowship, but don't treat him like an enemy. Love and counsel him like a brother so he can be restored and returned. Now, when we turn our attention to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 16 through 18, we'll read that Jesus lays out the process 
of restorative church discipline. Jesus died for our sins on the cross so we can be absolutely sure, absolutely confident that church discipline is not punishing or punitive, but instead restorative. So if church discipline is an instrument for restoration and it celebrates accountable discipleship, what then is accountable discipleship? Accountable discipleship is discipleship that not only focuses on building our relationship with Jesus Christ, but holds one another accountable in a loving, comforting, encouraging relationship. We need accountability in discipleship so that we can all regularly repent of our sins, hear the gospel truth in love, and work toward renewing and restoring our commitments to Christ. Unless we have prayerful support and encouragement from a brother or sister in Christ in accountable discipleship, we cannot restore or renew our focus on Christ. There's no way that we can focus on Jesus Christ again all by ourselves. There's no way this sort of process takes time. And it's clearly evident that Paul or another person, as I said before, spent that time with this man. Paul knew the power of sin and how it destroys a person, yet he also knew the power of the gospel. Paul knew that the gospel is much greater than sin, so great that when a person who is sinning hears it, it makes you repent of the sin. It makes you see what's wrong with the sin so that you can repent and be restored. That's why church discipline is wonderful for the church. Because it helps sinners hear and know the gospel truth and love, repent of their sin, and discover the joy of restoration through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. Paul lays this out nicely for a sermon outline. He says, your boasting's not good. Do you not know that little, little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So what does Paul mean here? Well, we all know that the Passover was the great deliverance from Egypt, right? Jesus celebrated the Passover every year and pointed back to remember the salvation that everyone received through the great deliverance. The way they celebrated Passover was to eat the unleavened bread. They didn't have time to use or to have to wait on yeast or use yeast. So if any yeast ended up in the bread, you couldn't use it in the celebration. Paul writes that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus' death and resurrection is our greatest salvation. What that means is that our entire lives should be one long celebration, one long feast. Now, stop for a moment. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? One long celebration, one long feast. We might have to uh, kind of have it out with the Methodists and see if they agree with that too. Whatever we say or do as a church then 
should always be pointing to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But when a person cannot or won't repent, that person destroys their ability to point to the gospel and their joy. In other words, sin steals away your Passover joy. And then you become the yeast. And the church is the bread. That's when problems begin, and that's when we need the blessing of restorative church discipline. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is addressing the whole church because the whole church needs to hear this. Because restorative church discipline is a blessing for the church. Paul's also telling the church in Corinth to be out there, to leave the walls in here and be out there with the immoral, with the greedy, with the, the adulterers, with the wicked. He is encouraging the church in Corinth to not turn their backs away from the immoral, the greedy, the wicked people out there, and at the same time be weak on how to address sin in our own church family. We should be the other way around. Be engaged in the lives of people. Be encouraging. Be compassionate. Be gracious in using the blessing of accountable discipleship in church, restorative church discipline, and provide a path, a highway, for a sinner to regularly repent and discover the joy of restoration in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. That's the gospel solution in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let us pray. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be the kind of church that is engaged in the lives of people. Strengthen us to be encouraging, gracious, compassionate, and most of all, loving to all people in need of repentance and restoration. Most of all, Lord, help us help them discover their joy again because of what you have done for them and us on the cross and rising from the grave. Amen. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. They will come from the east and west and north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. According to Luke, when our risen Lord was at table with his disciples, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This is the Lord's table. Our Savior invites all who trust in him to share in this feast which he has prepared. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can come together around this table as the body of Christ, thankful for the relationships that we share with each other and for the relationship that we share with you. Thank you that your steadfast love endures forever. And it's demonstrated here at this table in that while we were still sinning, 
you loved us enough to send your son and our savior to die for our sins. Help us to realize how important it is for confession and repentance. And thank you for the sweet freedom of forgiveness. Thank you for the power and authority that is demonstrated here at this table of Christ's death and resurrection. And pray that that power and authority would be real in our lives as we face the challenges that we face each day. As we face illness and sickness and and surgeries and cancer and and health issues and mental health issues. Pray that the power and authority of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection that's reflected here at this table would give us the comfort and strength and healing that we need. When we are, when we are finding, feeling the loss of a loved one, We pray that the power and authority of Christ's death and resurrection would be the assurance that death is not final. Death is not the end. But by the power and authority of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will be reunited. And even though we grieve, we do not grieve without hope because our hope is in the resurrection. Our hope is in the forgiveness that's ours. Our hope is in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that as we continue in this service, that you would capture our hearts, that you would give us the understanding of the seriousness of our sin as the passage today brings to heart, but that we would celebrate because of the power and authority of your love for us and Christ's death for us. We ask your blessing on this bread and on this cup. Pray that through these elements, you would give us spiritual nurture, that your Holy Spirit would be present in this and in us, and that we would leave here today with a renewed understanding of your love and your power and your authority in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Whenever you eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, Do this in remembrance of me. For each time you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord Jesus until he comes again in his glory.
And friends, he is coming again soon. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for the table is ready for you to receive.